Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, March 1st, we are studying Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 to 7. In today's text, the Lord calls on the coastlands to listen, because he is stirring up someone from the east who will trample kings underfoot. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair. Pastor Boisclair serves at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, it's really great to be here. I need to sharpen my iron. Get to talk about the prophet Isaiah this morning, Pastor Boisclair. Give us some context on the prophet, his book, his ministry leading up to our section for today. Yes, uh, when it, probably in the first part of Isaiah, which is chapters 1 to 39, uh, he, he uh, outlines for us his own inauguration as prophet uh, in the year that King Uzziah died. And that was when um, uh, Judah was kind of like a, an apex of its, of its power. Um, you know, it, it, it was, it's still a very uh, powerful nation. And then, um, uh, of course, uh, basically it's kind of like uh, there's not only prophecies about is, uh, Judah and Israel, but also about all of the nations that surround them. And God, God is trying to um, get the message out that he is also uh, the the uh, Lord of the universe, the Lord of all the earth, and not just uh, the God of of Israel. But in in the earlier part of the prophecy, you had the people uh, being unfaithful to God, and of course also following all the nations around them, and um, in in following, you know, in in Isaiah's life, um, he would be uh, at least as according to the understanding of. Uh, put to death by Manasseh, King Manasseh, who was like the son of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was notable for his righteousness. And, uh, and, and, and of course, he was the one that uh, faced off with the Assyrians when they came against Jerusalem. And it was Isaiah that was there encouraging uh, uh, Hezekiah. So, so in a sense, um, you know, it's... It, like in the situation with uh, Israel being, um, you know, the people of God, they they are not they they cannot do as they please. They have to follow in in God's law and and according to His covenant. And and of course, as as we see in the first thirty nine chapters of Isaiah, that that they uh, were not faithful to God. And then you know you had you had a great kings like Hezekiah. And then you had uh, probably one of the most evil of the kings of Judah, which was uh, Manasseh, who sacrificed his own children. And, and even after that, uh, you, worshiping false gods even in the temple. And uh, Ezekiel really takes us through that, where God departed from the temple. And so in, in this particular case, of course, um, Isaiah by the Holy Spirit is brought forward as some of the... Uh, a commentator says, even to the time uh, past his own life, uh, when uh, Israel, or rather Judah, is in 
uh, exile in Babylon and, and then uh, uh, comforts them with the fact that God will restore them to their land and, um, and, and that he is the Lord of all. And, and uh, you know, in a sense, tries to get um, even the heathen to see this, to maybe turn from their uh, idolatry. You mentioned that the beginning of chapter 40 has those famous words, comfort, comfort. And that certainly is a theme that Isaiah has in this second part of his book in chapters 40 to 66, as he turns and comforts those in exile. At the same time, as we saw in yesterday's text, and we are seeing again in today's text, as a part of that comfort, sometimes the Lord has to challenge people to a trial of sorts. We have some courtroom language in this text. How does the Lord's challenging people, putting them on trial or inviting them in a courtroom, how does that fit into the thought of comfort? Sometimes these words don't sound comforting to us at first, but we know that's what he's up to. How do those things go together? Well, in, the, in this particular case, you have somebody who is wronged. Um, I, I mean, uh, the, the people of Israel, it, it, it's, it's often, oftentimes like uh, Sennacherib when he came against uh, Jerusalem sent his Rabshakeh, which was, uh, you know, one of his uh, generals or his uh, soldiers. And, and um, you know, obviously uh, Sennacherib was under the impression that he was going to be a, um, uh, going to punish Judah or, you know, you know, your God told me to come here or, you know, I mean, and, and in a sense we can see too that God uh, uses uh the um, evil nations to uh, ju judge his people, but it is is not his intention to wipe them out, and and so in this particular case, you know, uh, Judah has been taken into captivity. Her land is 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 you know laid waste by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and and the Babylonians, and and uh, uh, in this particular case, it's it's like. Well, we need we need to have some uh, justice here. That's kind of like our idea about the way of the world too, uh, where um, uh, the people in the world live as if there is no God, and there's going to be a day of reckoning. And so, so it's kind of like they, uh, in this particular case, in order to um, give justice to uh, Judah, uh, you know, the Lord is is calling all nations into this uh, uh, courtroom. Um, or this judgment hall. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at this text. We are picking up with Isaiah chapter 41, beginning at verse 1 this morning. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. There is our text for today. 
That is Isaiah 41, verses 1 to 7. Pastor Boisclair, we've indicated already we're in a trial setting of sorts, a judgment hall. The ones called upon in this judgment hall are the coastlands. So when we talk about coastlands in our country, we probably mean something different than what the Lord's talking about here. What are the coastlands? What does that indicate? That would indicate the um, uh, the Mediterranean uh, you know, seascape, uh, which would be like the islands of Crete and uh, Cyprus, uh, which I think is called uh, Kittim. Um, and and uh, the, the Greeks, of course, uh, were, were um, located, they were, they're known as Javan in, in the Old Testament. Uh, they're sort of, lo- they, they're, they're such a mountainous region uh, that uh, they have to, um, you know, populate sort of right close to the sea, much in the same way as Scandinavia, um, the Vikings and so on. They didn't have enough land for, in order to expand and live, so they had to, uh, you know, be seafarers. And the same with the, the Greeks as well. Um, and so it's kind of like Europe. He's speaking to Europe. And, it, and what's rather interesting is there was a, um, a, a mass movement of peoples from this area in uh, like uh, 12... 100 BC, known as the Sea Peoples, and that, of course, is uh, among them were the Philistines that, uh, you know, always uh, were the enemies of, of uh, Israel. And so there, he's speaking about the, the, the nations to the west in that particular case, and, 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 of course, also the north and to the east. So just by the mention of the coastlands and thinking of those far reaches of the world as Israel would have known it, I think one of the things that we can take from this, which we certainly saw in the text previous to this at the end of chapter 40, is we see the Lord as not just a localized deity. He's not only the God of Israel, and that's his territory, and he doesn't extend beyond that but rather he is the God of all nations to the point that he can call even these coastlands who might think, well, who's, who is the Lord? How can he tell us what to do? Here he says, no, I, I own all of the earth. As the creator of the whole earth, I own it all, and I can call all people to account. That's at least one thing we see just from the mention of the coastlands being called into this trial. Oh, oh absolutely. And, um, you know, he says, uh, on the, uh, I like the uh, imagery in uh, chapter 40 where he says, uh, you know, the Lord sits on the circle of the earth and all of the inhabitants thereof are like grasshoppers. Um, it, it's uh, uh, what's rather interesting, uh, there in, in um, uh, one film, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, um, uh, the, um, uh, uh, the doctor who is, of course, leading the... the uh, uh, expedition says to his young aide uh, who is uh, offering a prayer and he says uh, Lord of heaven and earth and and they got, and the and the uh, professor says don't don't set any limit to his uh, to his domain he is he is the okay Lord of the universe uh, and, and in this particular case is it is is a whole different concept of uh, God and 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 then the manner in which he um, helps his people um, I'm, I'm sure that the, the heathen would want to make God in their own image. And that, of course, is kind of a, a, a that's a danger uh, even in our own day that um, the, the people of the world want to create their own gods, make themselves their God. Um, you know, the New Age movement was all about say, recognizing that you are, you, a human being, are God 
or or maybe some of the uh, ridiculous uh, scientists who say that well if you want to worship anything worship the sun or worship gravity uh, or or some other other kind of god i mean it 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 the, isaiah is, is such a precious word of god because that it 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 god is revealing himself to the world as the only god and as the uh one who is uh all powerful and and all and everywhere and present everywhere and so that's comforting too because uh, sometimes people think well well the devil and and uh, his his helpers are uh, invisible and so on but they're not infinite they are not all uh, omnipresent they're not om, uh, omnipotent and you know only the lord uh, only yahweh is is uh, omnipotent and omnipresent and that's certainly something that these coastlands, these Gentile areas, need to know. Within the Lord's call to them in verse 1, there seems to be a bit of irony. He says to them, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. And then he says, let the peoples renew their strength. Well, we know from the previous text that the only ones that are going to renew their strength are the ones who wait for the Lord, the one who trust in the true God. And so for the coastlands for the peoples, the nations, the Gentiles to renew their strength. The only way that that can happen is if they are brought to faith in the one true God. They're not going to be able to renew their strength under the power of the idols that they currently worship. They need to come to faith. They need to listen and hear this God who is addressing them because he's the only true God, the only one who can actually renew their strength. Exactly. Um, and and what's what's rather interesting is what what type of uh, thinking was going on when uh, you know some have said that um, may, they have maybe a, a uh, an idea or concept of God and that the idols that they build are are simply um, uh, so that they can remember like we would make a picture of of Jesus or or a picture of a biblical scene. Um, but but I think that the common people or the were were of course had the idea that the God was this uh, statue that that is being uh, being made and 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 I think you know this particular verse it is God that says okay uh, I the one the even youths and 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 the strong in the world and those who are uh, will will fail. But the one who trusts in me, even, and you know, and you could say, even though that person were very weak and and poor and beggarly, that uh, God would uh, uh, renew them, because all strength and all um, power comes from Him. And and so, in, the, in this case, you know, you know, He's challenging them here. He's saying, you know, you want to renew your strength. You want to be, um, you want to be a blessed people. Then uh, you need to follow me. Yeah, that's right. So the Lord, as the ruler of the entire universe, all nations, calls upon the coastlands, challenges them to find strength somewhere else. They will not be able to do so, he knows. And so even within that challenge, there is a call to faith. And I think that, that goes back to what we talked about earlier, Pastor Boyce Claire, in the middle of a book of comfort, that you have these challenges from the Lord the only way that you'll receive any actual comfort is if all of the false sources of comfort are removed. And so for these coastlands, and indeed for all people, we must know that our idols can do nothing, that the only place our strength will be renewed is in the Lord. 
And so, yeah, in a book of comfort, you need these challenges from God so that you can find the true source of comfort and not prop yourselves up on something that maybe seems like it's going to work for a little while, but ultimately never will last. Oh, exactly. And, and, and of course, they, they were uh, rather interesting with the Greeks, of course. They, they uh, certainly wanted to make gods out of human beings. And, and of course, uh, with all of their foibles and all of their, um, you know, great crimes and misdemeanors uh, like Zeus and, and uh, Hercules. Well, Hercules was a demigod. He was half man, half god. Then there are Apollo or, or Athena or... Uh, you know, it was rather, it, it's kind of like a, a maybe a, a little bit of an uh, improvement on the Egyptians because the Egyptians, of course, uh, uh, made their gods from uh, animals uh, and, and even insects uh, like scarabs. And uh, so, so it's probably, well, as like St. Paul says in, in Romans 1, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, that, that people that are created, uh, you know, uh, show the work of God you know that the work of God is present in creation, and and they are they of course blind by uh, you know our sinful nature and 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 brought into sin that that uh, they they would make gods out of reptiles and and insects and and other and, and, you know, besides themselves, and and as you said uh, the 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 Greeks uh, as well as the Phoenicians so the Phoenicians are a big big factor in this area because they. They, like the Greeks, they were seafarers, even more so. They, they went all the way to the end of the Mediterranean Sea, to Tarshish, to, um, to Spain and everything. Um, and, 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 you know, in doing that, they, they should maybe think that the world in, in God is something more than the idols that they had made. Hmm. So the Lord has brought the coastlands into the courtroom. He says, let us draw near for judgment. And then he begins to ask some questions, which this is something we've seen from the Lord throughout the section of Isaiah already. There were a number of questions asked and answered in the previous text. In verse 2, the question is this, who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? Now, on the one hand, I suppose in terms of the, the rhetorical force of this question, you have a, an obvious answer. Who's the one who stirred the one up from the east? What's well, the Lord? We, we've seen that over and over, that you know, who, who holds the, the waters in the hollow of his hands? It's the Lord. Who's the one who, who knows justice? It's the Lord. So that, on the one hand, the answer to this question in verse 2 is rather obvious. On the other hand, it's a bit mysterious, because the Lord, who's, what's the Lord doing? He's stirring up one from the east, which that's kind of, well, vague. So who are we talking about here, Pastor Boisclair? What do we know about this one from the East? Well, um, if you uh, reading on, uh, you find that it is most likely Cyrus, the um, Persian uh, conqueror. Um, he, he had, uh, you know, he was the, Medi the kingdom of Media was, was also power in the East. But, but you know, it's sort of like... Uh, buffered between that would be the Chaldeans or the Babylonians who had taken uh, the um, Judah into captivity. Uh, there, there are many different uh, um, uh, different ca uh, candidates that uh, the other commentators uh, would say. But, you know, it's notable that uh, Cyrus is even spoken of as a Messiah, as an anointed one. Um, I, I, I kind of also am reminded back to 
uh, you know, Sennacherib in attacking uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and, and, and Isaiah says in his prophecy that, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a, a large um, monstrosity that God has roused up to uh, bring, uh, you know, the, his people to judgment and repentance. And, but God is able to take hooks and, and, and like into this enormous beast and turn him around and take him back to where he belongs. And in this case, uh, you know, it's, it's Cyrus who is, is the one who will conquer um, the uh, Chaldeans, uh, the Babylonians, and, and establish the Persian Empire. And, and, and uh, in, in speaking about uh, that, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to have much opposition. He's kind of going to go across the land, uh, uh, you know, uh, with, without you know, anyone uh, standing in his way or being able to oppose his progress. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, Cyrus is the one that um, gives the um, edict that uh, the people of Judah are to return to their own land. And so uh, that's, that's kind of, I think, the... the and, and then, of course, you can say that Cyrus is sort of a type of Christ uh, in, in any, anything in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, as Christ says, they are they that testify of me. So in that particular case, uh, you know, Christ is the... Messiah is the anointed one. So that, sure. that's uh, pretty much what the commentators say, although they, 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 they mention different uh, uh, candidates for, for this one who is aroused and, and brought. You know, it, it's rather interesting that um, um, in, um, in, in Daniel's prophecy, they speak of, of Alexander the Great, too, uh, coming from the West, um, and like, uh, and of course, the, the symbol of Alexander was a ram, and and you know, it's like he was the ram that would come uh, forward. So, I, I, in the context of Isaiah, particularly these chapters, to recognize Cyrus as the one who comes from the east, I think is is right on. As you said, he's going to be mentioned by name more than once in the coming chapters. At the end of chapter forty-four, and. Again, at the beginning of chapter 45, the Lord is actually going to name Cyrus, even doing something as shocking as calling him the anointed one. As you said, Pastor Boyce Claire, that, that Cyrus, this pagan king, would be called a Mashiach, an anointed one in Hebrew, is a very shocking thing. And so one of the commentators that I was reading, Dr. Lessing, he makes the point that the Lord and Isaiah speaking here for the Lord, bringing up Cyrus here at the beginning of this section, but not mentioning him by name yet, is one way that the Lord prepares his people to hear that maybe shocking news to them. What do you mean, Cyrus, this Persian pagan king? He's a Messiah? How could that be? Well, the Lord is starting to get his people ready here to hear that news by mentioning him a little more veiled, in that sense, here in, in chapter 41 is this one who comes from the East. Dr. Lessing also makes a, a, a very interesting point as well, that with this one from the East, with it being a rather vague term, there's also some references to perhaps a, a callback, rather than looking forward, but also a callback to the way that the Lord brought Abraham. So Abraham was one who was brought from the East. And although sometimes we forget about this, Abraham was a pretty mighty warrior. You want to talk about someone who beat up kings? You see a lot of that in the account of Abraham. And so there are some similarities that Isaiah brings out here from the way 
the Lord called Abraham to be his servant and used him as one who trampled kings to the way that the Lord will use Cyrus in the future to be the one to trample kings and bring his people out of exile. Again, some of those similarities help the people be ready to hear that news about Cyrus, but then also show the Lord's continuity of action throughout history in calling people to be his servants. Exactly. Uh, you know, just just a note about the fact that if, if God is the, um, he is the universal God of all people, then, then he can certainly call Cyrus his anointed. Um, he, you know, and, and, and I think Abraham, of course, that's, that's probably uh, another one of the candidates that's what was put forward as, as one to be brought into, um, brought, brought into Israel or, or to Can- uh, Palestine or, or Can- uh, Canaan. Uh, he, uh, in, in chapter 14 of Genesis, uh, you have uh, four kings from the east and some, one of them from the, the, and Elam, which is, of course, where Cyrus uh, it was from, uh, that came and uh, conquered uh, the cities of the plain and, um, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, Zeboim and all of those. And they, but they, they messed with uh, Abraham's family by taking his nephew Lot and his family into captivity. And then uh, with 300, what, 318 uh, of his chosen uh, uh, servants, uh, Abraham uh, basically used a surprise and, and, and conquered those, those uh, uh, four kings uh, in, where, as they were making their way back to their own lands and uh, brought a lot back and on all of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and so on. And, and most certainly uh, that, that Abraham is, is of course, uh, meant, you know, and, and we can say that Scripture kind of directs us to all of the many ways in which God uh, accomplishes his will. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we see him accomplishing his will through moving and bringing foreign rulers for the sake of his people to bring them out of exile. We see the Lord as the only God, the one who directs history for the purposes of bringing about salvation for his people. We're going to keep looking at those themes and more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor David Boisclair this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, March 1st. We are studying Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 to 7 with Pastor David Boisclair. He serves at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, prior to the break, we were talking about this one from the East, stirred up by the Lord. We made the connection to Cyrus later in this section of Isaiah in chapters 44 and 45. Also, the way that there are similarities to Abraham and the way that the Lord called him out of the East. Thinking through Cyrus being that one from the East, the one who will deliver the people of God from exile in Babylon, as we will see in this section of Isaiah as it progresses, the exile of the people in Babylon is certainly a big problem that the Lord needs to bring rescue for his people, but it's not ultimately their final problem. They need a different deliverer, not only Cyrus to rescue them from exile in Babylon, but they need another servant, a different Messiah, to be their savior from their sin, as, as we will see in multiple sections. And so as we think about you know, the Lord stirring up one from the east and the way that he does that with first with Abraham, later with Cyrus, I think we're also right to make connections to the way the Lord brings his servant Christ into the world. And when I say Christ in this case, I mean Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the final Messiah, the one foretold by the whole Old Testament. I think we should ultimately see these promises being fulfilled in Jesus. Oh, absolutely. And and um, that what, what uh, is being dealt with here to a certain extent is, is the uh, symptoms of the uh, of the only ill that uh, there is uh, the the sin that makes a separation between uh, God and us and and God who loves humanity you know he's he as as one uh, theologian says that he is the great philanthropist he's the one who loves loves man the most um, even though man, uh, you know, spits in God's face and, 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 and lifts up his heel against God and so on, that God still desires uh, to be with man in, in communion and to live with him forever. And, and so dealing with the, 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 uh, the root cause, you know, it, it's like, for instance, when, when physicians deal with illnesses with people, um, you know, cancer, uh, you know, maybe they they have different uh, symptoms of that cancer, and uh, in, in it and it will not do to simply take care of the uh, symptoms, uh, but you have to take care of the root uh, problem, and that of course is done by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the kingdom of God is not uh, of this world; it is it is within us, and and it is um, uh, Christ is the one who delivers us, not from bondage, uh, you know, political bondage or political, um, uh, you know, being trodden, trodden under, but rather from the, the um, real root problem, which is sin. Yeah, that's right. The other, the other thing that I think we should continue to, to meditate upon, at least a little bit from this verse, and this will become a little more prominent again when Cyrus is named specifically by name later in this book, but the fact that the Lord is the one who stirs up Cyrus, again, that's the actual question. Who stirred up this one from the East? It is the Lord who did that. The fact that the Lord is the ruler over the nations means that he is the one who actually brings about rulers, as Cyrus included, and who 
brings them down. He's actually not only the one who oversees it, but he directs events of history. Talk to us a little bit about what the comfort of that, Pastor Boyce Claire. Maybe initially we're like, well, that doesn't, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Talk to us about the the comfort of the fact that the Lord is actually the ruler and director of history. Oh, absolutely. You know, we have, um, you know, like in our present day, we have the war in the Ukraine with uh, Russia and uh, the Ukrainians. And uh, in, in a sense, uh, you know, there you have uh, threatening to use nuclear weapons. Um, you know, Russia, Russia has a nuclear arsenal, the United States has, and, and many other nations uh, have this, uh, you know, horrendous uh, weapon which uh, can lay waste the world. Uh, the comfort is in that humankind does not have the power to destroy the world by whatever, by whatever it does or whatever it creates. I mean, obviously, they can do very great damage. They can take uh, our uh, world, which is in the 21st century, and, and put us back into the Stone Age or something. I mean, if they, if they were to use these uh, horrendous weapons. Uh, but the, the comfort is in knowing that it is God who sits at, on the circle of the world and, and uh, he has done whatever he has pleased. And, and you know, it's ra- rather interesting. Uh, in, in my own uh, life, I remember the, um, the Cold War very, very vividly. Um, and and there, there was a lot of fear about nuclear war. Uh, you know, even in children, little children in classrooms would uh, have a drill in which they would get under their desks and be afraid. Uh, you know, if you see a mushroom cloud, get under your desk or get in your basement. Although, you know, people don't realize that if there is an atomic detonation within their immediate vicinity, everything's going to be incinerated. But, it, you know, so the idea is uh, at that time is, is, is what a horrible prospect for the world. And then in the late 80s and early 90s, you had the uh, Iron Curtain coming down and you had uh, the disintegration of the Russian Empire. And, and uh, then, then you had the prospect of peace and, and uh, what they called detente uh, during that time. Even China uh, brought down the, what it was called, the Bamboo Curtain. Uh, so, so, you know, in, 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 a, in all of this, it, you know, God... Um, also can lead the nations to peace. And, 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 and so we're comforted by the fact that he's in charge, not uh, human beings, not, uh, or even the forces of nature. He's also in charge of all of the, um, you know, the climate or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not to mean that we should be irresponsible. You know. Sure. No, none of that means we should be irresponsible, but it does keep us in our proper place as those who fear the Lord rather than try to usurp the place and make gods of ourselves. We should rather put our fear and trust in the Lord. And to the to the Christian, what we're talking about, this is ultimate, this is very good news, that the Lord is the one who directs history for the purposes of his people. To those who do not trust in the Lord, this is rather terrifying because they don't know him or his purposes or his love. And so it, it may seem capricious, but there's, there's no, it's not capricious at all. This is the Lord working through history, directing history for his purposes, which we know as those who fear the Lord, that they are ultimately for our good, for, for the benefit of his people. And, and, uh, you know, in, in the previous chapter in, in chapter four of the, 40, 
you know, you can see the tenderness and the um, concern of God, even for individuals, where he, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather those that are with young. And, and, and uh, you know, it, God, God wants to lead humanity as, as a shepherd leads his flock. And that, of course, is why even in the church, of course, that uh, metaphor of, of shepherd and sheep is something that's so very important uh, as, as we are pastors and, and our, our, our flock is our, our congregants and, and, the, and, the, and the church is, is the sheepfold of God. That's right. Among that's, others. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? This is the Lord who has done this. And as you continue then and see what the Lord does through this one he stirs up from the east, it's a it's a pretty simple victory, a very thorough victory that this one from the east wins. The nations go down before him. He tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with the bow. He pursues them, passes on safely by paths, paths his feet have not trod. And a lot of that, I think, as you were pointing out, Pastor Boyce Claire, matches up very well with the way Cyrus's campaigns go and the way that he wins victories. But again, for the purposes of Isaiah, what we really want to see is what happens in verse 4. Who has performed and done this? It's the Lord. So, History books will tell you all about Cyrus's campaigns and the way that he won his victories very handily. But for Isaiah's purposes, what do you need to know? The Lord is the one who's behind this because he is the first and the last, the only God. And, and it's comforting to know that God uh, governs the world and governs us through um, intermediaries or through, through means. Um, and, and in this particular case, it's like he's going to um, uh, visit judgment on the world through um, the Persians and, and, or through the Babylonians at, at, the, t- at the time of the uh, uh, conquest of, of Judah and everything. And then now through the Persians who will, um, you know, bring, kind of bring the uh, Chaldeans down. And, and, then, and then, of course, permit the people of Israel, or rather the people of Judah, to return to Jerusalem and rebuild uh, the temple, rebuild the... Uh, so again, uh, you know, it, it's all in preparation for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, but God works with, uh, through means, and even in the church, of course, through the preaching of the word, the foolishness of preaching, as St. Paul says, and also the sacraments through water, bread, and wine. And, uh, and, and, and in this way, he accomplishes uh, the, the greatest victory, the victory of our faith. Talk to us about the way that the Lord refers to himself in verse 4, the first and the last. You know, and that's taken up, like, in, especially in the book of uh, Revelation. And, uh, you know, he is, he is the, uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, or, uh, but most especially how Christ our Lord uh, speaks of himself as being the first and the last, as he says to John, you know, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says that he is the, the author and finisher of our faith, um, a pioneer and the, and the one who brings, brings our faith to completion. So in other words, um, you know, for God, 
uh, all, there, there is no um, yesterday and today for us. You know, we have our, our short life. Uh, you know, as, as the psalmist, uh, Psalm 90, Moses says, you know, um, if it's uh, 70 years, though by reason of strength it be 80 years, yet there is still uh, labor and sorrow because it is soon cut off and we fly away. But with God, a, a thousand years are as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You know, it, it's, it's that the God that we have is, is outside of time and space. And he is the one that, uh, and, and his whole, his, the wonderful news is his intention to save people from their sin, save them from themselves, save them from um, the devil and, the, and death itself. Yeah, so the Lord, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When you see that where you have something, at, again, at the beginning and at the end, it, it's everything in between. So the Lord is is all in all. He is the first and the last. No God stands next to him. No ruler stands next to him. He is above all. He is the one who does this. Again, brings Cyrus from the east, who brings rulers and lowers lo- rulers generations from the beginning, he is the only God. So verse 5 then, the coastlands, what do they do? (laughs) They're in this courtroom scene. The Lord's called upon them in the judgment hall. And and what happens to the coastlands? They see and they are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. Talk to us about the response of the coastlands there in verse 4. 5, sorry. Well, when I I think it, it, it is definitely true when uh, things happen in nature that that people uh, stop and take notice uh something that has really kind of uh, been sort of something that that uh, chills my bones is is uh the idea of a uh, catastrophic um volcanic eruption mm. uh you know like uh, they, they you know like uh, yellowstone park of course is said to be kind of like an area where the, all of that activity is going on and they they probably check the the um, seismic activity, the the earthquake activity, uh, but but God is doing something which is going to take get the people to take notice. Uh, you know, when you have a conqueror come up like Cyrus, you know they're going to they're they're going to uh, you know and 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 we know the Persians also were ones that attacked the um, the Greece uh, just before the time of Alexander the Great. Uh, you know, and and when um, uh, the uh, one of the later the succeeding uh, emperors of Persia, Darius and uh, Xerxes, um, attacked uh, the the coastlands and so on. You know, and then then they kind of see and take notice. And then of course they had their great uh, uh, avenger in Alexander the Great that came across uh, the Aegean Sea and then into um, uh, Persia. Mm. Yeah, so the, the coastlands, they see, they are afraid, the ends of the earth tremble, they've drawn near and come. This sometimes is, the, as you said, the, the way that the Lord grabs our attention, you know, and rightly so. On the one hand, when these things happen in the world and make us afraid, that's not the end of the proclamation that needs to happen. But when we see these tumultuous events in world history or in nature creation, as you pointed out, we are right to to tremble because we see that we don't have control over them. That's not where the Lord would leave us, of course, but we that is the proper response rather than to become arrogant and to be or become angry and to think that somehow, uh, things you know somehow this is this is just awful and I can't believe this is happening. 
rather to fear, to tremble, and to look then to the Lord, to hear that proclamation that, yeah, you don't control this, but the Lord is in control, and He does so for His good purposes, and you know that they're good purposes because of Jesus. Sometimes this is one of those places where there can be an opportunity for Christians to begin to speak that truth of the gospel when, when we've been brought low by the the law working in, in this way that we see our lack of control in this world. And and that and that's the way in which God works uh, through law and gospel. Uh, you know, he, he wounds in order to heal. Uh, he brings low, uh, and or even in, to emphasize the fact that only through Christ, uh, by grace alone, are we saved. It says God uh, concludes everyone under condemnation so that he might have mercy upon all. And, and uh, in Christ, of course, God is reconciled to the world, uh, you know, through his death and resurrection. And then, and then, of course, that is the ministry of reconciliation that we carry out in the world. Uh, we implore, uh, we are Christ's ambassadors. We implore uh, anyone who will hear the, that they should be reconciled to God. The Holy Spirit, of course, creates the faith through the preaching of law and gospel. And, and that, is a, that, of course, is so, so very important here. Um, you know, it's rather interesting that uh, like you, this, there's, a, there's sort of a parallel in the book of Job, of course, that's in, in which Job is, is dealing with, you know, all of the injustices in life. Um, and, um, and, and so it's rather interesting that, uh, you know, some 40 year, 30 years ago, there was a Rabbi Kushner who uh, put out why bad things happen to good people. And he said that these three things cannot all be true. God is almighty, God is just, and Job is a good man. And the one he wants to chuck out is, of course, that God is almighty, that you have to forgive God, that he's not able to deal with all of the problems that people have and the, and the injustices and everything. So you need to forgive God because Job was a good man. Well, Job was a sinner, and so are all of us. So the one you chuck out is not that God is almighty or that God is just and loving, but that we are good people. Hmm. Now... Well, as Pastor Boyce, then as the the text continues, you kind of see the coastlands. It seems opting for a, a toward that direction, where they've become afraid, but rather than turning to the Lord at this point, they seem to be turning back to their idols. As the text continues, so verse six, everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, "Be strong." So rather than turning to the Lord to look for that renewal of strength that we were talking about, they're going to try to find it from each other. And so they're, I think verse seven, if I'm reading this right, it sounds like they're going to get together and, hey, let's have a party where we all make idols together and see if we can find some strength there. It looks like the coastlands are taking the wrong way out at this point. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it, it God kind of, I think uh, if God has humor, uh, you know, it's sort of chuckling at, at, at all of what, what humankind does, you know, much in the same way as they, when they built the Tower of Babel, uh, you know, let us go down and see what they're what they're up to. And and in this particular case, uh, you know, it, it is not only here, but in elsewhere in these uh, chapters of Isaiah, where it talks about a a person goes out in the woods and cuts down a tree, and then and then uh, you know hones it into a, a an image, and then overlays it with silver and 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 so on, and and then uses the rest of the wood to uh, cook his his dinner. You know, there's there's a lot of this. Um, you know, it's basically uh, God 
trying to remind the, uh, to, to tell the people that they're that in their idolatry they are they are um, actually harming themselves and and and, and but in this case you know the, these gods that they make you know I, I, what is it psalm 115 they have eyes but they see not ears they have but they hear not uh, neither speak they through their throats uh, they that make them are like unto them and so is all that trust in them uh, you know o israel trust thou in yahweh you know he is their help and their shield and and so in this particular case you kind of get into this exciting uh uh tableau of of um talking about the building of idols you know it's rather interesting that uh you know some of the the um radio and tv preachers uh you know got this wrong uh, like herbert w armstrong uh said that this is basically uh the judgment against us for having christmas trees and and celebrating christmas uh that it talked about taking a tree out of the woods and and decorating with gold and silver and so on you know isaiah is talking about idols he's not talking about christmas trees and and so our herbert armstrong uh, deceased of course is it was totally wrong about that what's striking about the idolatry here is i think that last line in verse 7 that by the time they're done making these idols the idol can't be moved and as you pointed out, we're going to see a lot of critiques and satirical language about idolatry throughout this section of Isaiah, just as we see elsewhere in the scriptures. We saw some yesterday in chapter 40. In chapter 40, I think one of the main points is the Lord is the creator, but these idols that you're making, you're the one creating them. You've got the order backwards. Here, I think in chapter 41, another emphasis in this critique of idolatry is the fact that these idols that you are creating, not only have you created them, but you created them such that they, they don't move, which stands in complete contrast to the way that the Lord has acted as the one true God in this text. The Lord is the mover and the shaker of all world history. Who's the one who's calling this person from the East? Who's the one who brings out the generations from the beginning? Who is, who is the one who, above all else, is moving? It's the Lord. And here... In, in foolishness, we make these idols that, that can't move. They can't do anything. And you just see the, the utter futility of our idols that we would put our trust in them. But here they are. They're just they're stuck there, you know? And for the, for the people of this day, you're, you're probably literally talking about a statue that is maybe even nailed down, can't move. The same is true for us, even if we don't have the statues. Our idols can't move. They can't do anything for us. And that's such a a biting and stinging critique that we would do well to take to heart when we're tempted toward idolatry. Yeah, and, and what's rather interesting is I, I've read um, uh, devotional material where, you know, like a, um, uh, a husband says, uh, says of his wife, or, you know, he, he, he's, he speaks to her fondly, you know, honey, you think that, um, you know, I, I, I'm the one that can, uh, you know, take care of everything and that, and, you know, and, and there, and, and we should rely on one another. I think there's a, there's a beauty in this, but, but I, I do not have the, uh, I, I, it's above my pay grade to be the, the almighty and eternal God who is over all things. Uh, you know, I don't want to have that responsibility because I'm not able to deliver. And, and, and so in this particular case is the, the, the peoples of the world that are not of Israel are those who, who have, uh, their, you know, even as, as uh, it's said in Scripture, their, their rock is not like our rock. Um, you know, their, their God is, is they're, they're insufficient. They cannot do 
what uh, they uh, boast that they can do. And in this, this, and of course, in this case, is that what the coastlands or the, those peoples consider that are possible that they build the great uh, temple of Zeus and Olympia in, in Greece and, and overlay it in gold and everything, but that uh, that that is a mere idol that uh, can do nothing. Yeah, yeah. Again, the futility of idols. The Lord has brought that out in this trial, this judgment hall where he's called the coastlands to listen, to see his testimony, to realize that he is the one true God, the one who moves the nations. Again, for his saving purposes. And that will become a lot more apparent as this text continues into the next one, which we will pick up next time on Sharper Iron. And we'll see this again throughout this part of Isaiah, that the Lord is doing these things for the sake of his people, to bring them out of exile, ultimately for all sinners, to give us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Boisclair, with about a minute, help us to wrap things up on this wonderful section from Isaiah 41. Well, the the fact is that God, who is the uh, is so much greater than we can possibly imagine, even the even the word of God that we have is is just a you know just a small part of 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 His uh, you know infinite knowledge and understanding and His power, and that this gracious God wants to reach into history into our time in order to bring us to Himself, and He He does that. Of course, through sending uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God the Son, who has come into the flesh to bear our sin, be our Savior, and, and to um, deal with the real problem of humanity, which is not suffering or not anything else uh, like political problems, but rather our sin, which has made a separation between us and our God. And, and the Lord Jesus, of course, atones for that sin. He is the mediator between God and man. He's always on our side. And when we're dragged into the courtroom, you know, the devil as the Satan will accuse us as the prosecuting attorney. And Christ will say, I will reverse that. I will, I will be the one to suffer the penalties in the, for their sins. And, and I redeem them by my gracious uh, uh, care and love and, and by his precious body and blood, which we share. Pastor David Boisclair serves at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Overland, Missouri. He's been helping us today to study Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 to 7. Pastor Boisclair, thanks for being our guest today. It's been a joy. God be with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Isaiah 41, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week. Showing support for KFUO is now easier than ever. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to kfuo.org store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to kfuo.org store.